Hi everyone, thank you for waiting, but we're finally back after a long hiatus with some new episodes. We plan to release episodes more regularly now, so stay tuned because we have a bunch of great topics and guest speakers lined up. Thank you for your continued support for our podcast, and we hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Pediagogy. I'm Tammy. And I'm Lydia. And we're UC Davis Children's Hospital trained pediatricians in Sacramento. This podcast reviews common conditions in children to enhance our knowledge and the knowledge of other residents, medical students, and any other interested partners. With that, let's delve right into this episode. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time for that pediatric disease that never goes out of style, gastroenteritis. Trigger warning that maybe don't listen to this episode if you're about to eat. Well, that means I'm skipping lunch. So the CDC estimates that it causes about 200,000 hospitalizations and 300 deaths in the U.S. annually. This number is worse in developing countries that don't have as readily available access to clean water. Children under the age of five will have, on average, two gastroenteritis infections per year. Yuck, that is a lot of diarrhea. So let's start by defining it. Um, Here, we're going to define it as three or more loose or watery stools per day or more than the normal stool output. So remember that babies can stool quite frequently normally. Um, So it actually has to be significantly different from their baseline in both frequency and consistency. Gastroenteritis typically presents with diarrhea and vomiting, fever, decreased appetite, and abdominal pain. And remember, if someone just has vomiting, then you technically should call it gastritis. And if they just have diarrhea, then you can call it enteritis. Yep. And remember that we're talking about vomiting with diarrhea. So vomiting without diarrhea, um, which is kind of what Tammy was alluding to about gastritis, um, is actually a much broader differential. And you have to think about things like metabolic derangements, urinary tract infections, meningitis, bowel obstruction, and toxic ingestion. But right now we're just talking about simple, old-fashioned, infectious gastroenteritis. So what kinds of things should we assess for? Definitely, I'd start by looking at their hydration status, looking at their urine and stool output. Do they have blood in their stool? Has there been any recent travel? Did they eat anything like hamburgers or go to a petting zoo? (laughs) Um, Vaccine status and medications. It's particularly important in children to assess their hydration status because they can get really easily dehydrated with gastroenteritis. And this can be due to a lot of factors, but um, some of the big ones are their larger surface area to weight ratio and their difficulty maintaining adequate oral intake when they're sick. Yeah, so I really watch carefully for altered mental status, tachycardia, poor perfusion, so things like delayed cap refill, cold or mottled skin, delayed skin turgor, and minimal urine output or tears. Um, So... What do you count as like altered mental status? Because for um, people in the ED, sometimes that's really hard if they're not used to looking at kids, like to know like, what is this kid's baseline mental status? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, It's definitely hard in kids because obviously a lot of times they can't really communicate with you. Um, But definitely looking for things like, are they super, super sleepy and like difficult to arouse? Um, And sometimes actually it can be the opposite. So they can be like super, super irritable and just really, really difficult to console. 
Yeah. Um, and then how can we tell what bug is actually causing this gastroenteritis and does it even matter? Yeah. So the vast majority of gastroenteritis in the U.S. is actually viral. So as a general rule of thumb, I like to think of viral gastro as low-grade fever, watery diarrhea without blood, and bacterial gastro as high-grade fever with bloody diarrhea, although this isn't always the case. That being said, the management is actually pretty much the same for most infectious gastroenteritis. Yeah, and the AP actually doesn't recommend checking electrolytes in the setting of dehydration. So the rationale is that unless electrolytes are super off and very deranged, they aren't actually an accurate indicator of severity of hydration status. So unless this kid is requiring IV hydration or you're worried about toxic ingestion and hypernatremic dehydration, you really don't need to be checking a BMP. It's also not generally recommended to check stool studies on everyone with gastroenteritis. Um, as we said before, the vast majority is going to be viral, so that may not even be picked up on an expensive test. And the management is usually the same for most infections anyway. Instances where stool studies might actually be helpful include things like if you have a known outbreak in the area, if they had recent travel, and immunocompromised patients. Yeah, I do remember our hospital was running a lot of these expensive GI panels when we were having our neural outbreak recently. Yep. <laughs> Neuro and astro. Yep. So let's talk about how to manage gastroenteritis. Oral rehydration therapy is the mainstay of treatment, and this is a recommendation endorsed by the AAP as well as the WHO. This is with balanced electrolyte solutions like Pedialyte or Infinlite that replenish the sodium, potassium, and bicarb that are lost in your poop. You want solutions that have a lower osmolarity, so roughly a one-to-one sodium-to-glucose ratio, and you want to be avoiding high osmolarity solutions like sports drinks or sodas. Now, that's interesting. Why do we want to avoid sports drinks? Because I definitely have like parents that will ask me about that. Yeah, the trusty old Gatorade. <laughs> So rehydration works by allowing for reabsorption of water through the brush borders via an osmotic gradient. Water moves from lower osmolarity to higher osmolarity. So you want the intestinal cells to have a higher osmolarity from uh, than the lumen of your intestines to actually be able to reabsorb the water. If you have a high osmolarity solution like Gatorade sitting in your gut, the water is actually just going to pull in the intestine and it really won't get reabsorbed. Yeah, that makes sense. And to further prove this point, let's compare the concentrations of a balanced solution like Pedialyte to a regular drink like soda. So Pedialyte is about 250 milliosms per liter with 25 grams per liter of sugar and 45 millimoles per liter of sodium. Now compare this to Coca-Cola, which has about 650 milliosms per liter, 112 grams per liter of sugar, and 1.6 millimoles per liter of sodium. Now, do you see how much of a larger osmolarity and sodium to glucose ratio that soda has? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And it just reinforces the reason why soda is so bad for you, um, given about how much sugar it has and why Pedialyte also tastes so salty every time I've had it. Yeah, and that's why it also doesn't taste as good as soda. <laughs> um, it definitely makes sense to use 
Pedialyte or Infinlite, like these specific rehydration solutions though. Uh, and at UC Davis, we also do store replacement, which is where we calculate the store output and we replace that volume to the patient with uh, fluid hydration. Don't forget that there's actually a difference between rehydration and maintenance hydration. So we definitely recommend that you check out our maintenance fluids episodes as a refresher. Yeah. And you may have also heard of things like the brat diet, um, where you kind of like do a slow introduction. Um, but there isn't actually any evidence for like gut rest or slow introduction of solid foods to slow diarrhea. Patients should actually really just start eating as soon as they feel comfortable. Wow. That's good to know. I'm pretty sure my patients are going to be happy when I tell them they can have pizza next time after they (laughs) are pooping their pants out. (laughs) Um, but maybe they shouldn't move so fast. (laughs) Uh, Another question that I get a lot from families is what medicines can they give um, for gastroenteritis? A lot of times they're asking me about antibiotics and anti-diarrheals. So let's hear from Dr. Dean Blumberg, who's one of our pediatric infectious disease specialists at UC Davis on antibiotic use in gastroenteritis. Yeah, so most cases of infectious gastroenteritis, a lot of them are viral in nature, so the antibiotics obviously won't help. And for the bacterial causes, many of them get better on their own. By the time you get the lab result back that it's non-typhoid salmonella or shigella or campylobacter or yersinia, the patient will already be getting better. So there's no advantage to giving the antibiotics, and there's only a downside. I think it's important to remember the distinction between adult versus pediatric practices for gastroenteritis, as well as variations across countries. So older patients in other countries with more endemic disease are much more likely to have a bacterial infection, hence the indication for antibiotics in those populations. But in pediatrics here, we really try to shy away from antibiotics. Um, What's the disease, Tammy, that we always worry about with antibiotics and diarrhea? I just got this question on a board prep question, and the answer is HUS. So, <laughs> thank you. Um, that stands for hemolytic uremic syndrome. Um, we're going to save this topic for a later episode since it's a bit of a doozy, but that's the big buzzword disease that we always worry about when you give antibiotics to children with diarrhea. There's also a risk of prolonging the carrier phase of the bug that's causing the diarrhea. And then if you have a salmonella infection, you can actually have relapse of the infection if you give antibiotics. So really, we reserve antibiotics for only very specific bugs and a really severe disease. Yeah, we also try to avoid antidiarrheals in children because of their sedating side effects, as well as the potential to cause ileus or toxic megacolon. And these include things like loperamide and imodium. I actually had a patient recently who actually ended up with really bad toxic megacolon because he took antidiarrheals with uh, a gastroenteritis infection. That sounds awful and very terrible. So I hope your patient is okay. Big no-no for antibiotics or antidural meds. Um, anti-nausea meds, however, like Ondansetron or Zofran are okay for limited use, but you want to be careful because they can have some sedating effects and extra pyramidal side effects too. Uh, another side effect that you want to worry about is um, Zofran can cause QT prolongation. So if a patient's going to be on it for a long time, you might want to give them or get an EKG. 
And really, Zofran is just more for comfort and it encourages patients to drink because they won't feel so nauseous, but it doesn't solve the main problem. And it actually is an off-label use, but we definitely use it a lot in practice. Yeah. So here's an interesting tidbit that I didn't know about personally. So apparently zinc supplementation is actually helpful in gastroenteritis and is actually recommended by the WHO. We don't know exactly how it works, but apparently it shortens the duration and frequency of diarrhea, potentially by improving or promoting better water and solute absorption. That's actually crazy. I did not know about that. And it's definitely something I guess I can offer to my patients when they ask me for antibiotics. Yeah. And also probiotics can decrease the duration by one day if you give it early on. Awesome. So to sum up, infectious gastroenteritis is a very common disease in children. In most cases, it's going to be a viral cause. And the key to treatment is hydration, hydration, and more hydration. (laughs) You want to avoid antibiotics or anti-diarrhea medicines. And don't forget that you can give some zinc and probiotics to help the course. That's all for this episode. You can find additional information in the podcast description and our social media resources. Please rate and subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at PediagogyPod. That's P-E-D-I-A-G-O-G-Y-P-O-D. Special thanks to Orlando Magana at OM Audio Productions for music composition and Dr. Su Ting Lee and Dr. Lena Vanderlis for mentorship.